Galatians 5, we're in the middle of a sermon series on Galatians. We're in 4 now, uh, and there are six chapters, so we're about two-thirds of the way through. Um, Again, page 5, we'll read the scriptures together. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers. Become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn your own eyes out and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, sorry I turned myself off. I'm not supposed to mess with that button. Um, again, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. Um, uh, just so you know, when I say senior pastor, it just means kind of lead pastor, something like that. Um, we do team ministry here, and basically senior pastor means you might call the plays in the huddle that God gives you at the sidelines. Just want to let you all know how it works. Um, so I have another senior pastor here. Uh, Craig Brown is here visiting. Craig, we do this. So, Craig, stand up for a minute. Just stand up. He is a uh, pastor at, at East Nashville City Church, East Nashville, and he is visiting with us today. He's a PCA pastor and a Covenant Seminary grad. Yeah. Yeah. Quit with the Clemson jokes, okay, Davidson? All right. I want to see y'all on Saturday in the fall, Davidson, okay? (laughs) So we welcome you uh, this morning, Pastor Craig over there. Um, As we continue our uh, sermon series in the book of Galatians, um, Paul the Apostle, um, one who's heard the word of God, seen God, seen Jesus, um, and called by Jesus, becomes pastor and friend in this passage. And he recognized that as the Galatians, a group of churches he started, are being drawn to behavior changes, religious behavior changes by a group of Judaizers, to following Jewish customs and being circumcised as added proof that they were really, truly God's people on top of belief in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul realizes that um, as they were being drawn into a works-centered, performance-based religious life, that they were actually being drawn away from the unconditional love of God in Jesus Christ. You know, the one given to them, 
the one they received happily through the message and ministry and through Paul, the minister of the gospel. And it's safe to say we too, like them, have become so works-minded at times, so in our heart believing we have to prove something to God and the world and yourself that we too have missed and miss often the glowing acknowledgement of God's love for you, for us. And so to the Gentiles and now to us, Paul teaches us that, that God acknowledges that God actually admits, it's, it's obvious in, in, the, in the process of the thing. He proclaims his love for people. First, we see through the gospel message. Look with me at verse 8 here in chapter 4. It said, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, God, how is it that you're turning uh, back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Let me tell you what is going on uh, here and what point Paul is making. He is kind of comparing and contrasting uh, the pagan. Let's let's call that uh, the, the, the non-Jesus God way of life and the life they now live. He's contra- contrasting that life and the life they now live as believers in Jesus Christ. And what he is getting uh, at here is that these Gentiles, before they came to know and believe the message of the gospel, they worshipped and lived according to all kinds of natural, worldly things, seeking them as their gods. Or at, le- at the very least, believing that these things in nature communicated uh, and gave revelation to, of an unknown and unseen God. Like worshiping the sun or the, or the, or the moon or stars or, or looking to astrology as a message from some sort of astral god mind intelligent communication. Or, you know, the pagan thinking of like turning to some sort of psychosomatic philosophy of mind and body and unity with the spirit or its unsophisticated cousin, hedonism, like fulfilling life by food and drugs and sex and power, the, the full range of what we would describe as base, faceless, wannabe grace and relief for the soul. Paul is disappointed because he is saying that, that they have gone back to, to how, how does he put it in, in some other translations? He says to the beggarly, weak way of life returning to living like they had no knowledge of a real god and and redeemer like they could not have possibly be known by 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 the god of heaven and earth and here is the irony they were returning to the pagan way of life by being religious by seeking to be more jewish turning to the Jewish calendar laws and ceremonies and and dietary laws and circumcision of the flesh and following these laws and holidays as a necessary addition to the gospel. Paul is saying, you Galatians have gone back. You're going back to doing things to your body 
and looking to the moon and the sun and the clothes you wear and how your outward behavior appears. You know, in some pagan cultures, they even cut themselves to get their God's attention. He's saying, do you realize that when you look to circumcision outside of the gospel to make you secure in God, you do the same thing as the pagan? And he's saying to us, when we turn to our own ability to make ourselves feel loved or loved by God, you know, hey, you, God, whoever you are up there, you know, see me. Look how I've changed my life. Do you love me now? Look how religious I am. Look how long I stayed still and listened to that church today. I didn't go to sleep today. You know, hey, you up there, you know, I've stopped smoking and drinking and dancing and eating fatty foods. And ironically, the reason it's, hey, you, God, is because we don't really believe he knows us. Paul is saying to us, thinking like that is the very basest way of living. It is pagan apart from the knowledge of Jesus first giving you assurance. And Paul says here that we, through the message of the gospel and its acceptance through Jesus, we actually come to know God. When we have personal relationship with Jesus, you become the people of God. The people who know God. Now, I'm not talking about an exhaustive knowledge. You know, you don't know what time God wakes up. Well, he doesn't. That's all you can't know. And I mean, well, he never goes to sleep. He's always woken. But, but you know which one he is. The one revealed in scripture. You know he, how he's revealed himself. And you know which one he is because he revealed himself in Christ. God came in the flesh in Jesus to be touched and seen and written about by in the gospels. And that is anything but elemental paganism. Well, you have to look at the tree and wonder what it's saying about God. Jesus came and said, look, when you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. But but more glorious than that, Paul says here, not only did you know God, but rather you were known by God. In Jesus, God comes to let us know that he knows us. That he has intimate, caring knowledge of his people, unlike the luminaries or the trees or some animal or some rule or regulation or behavior change you're looking to to really think you, you got it together, got your spiritual life together, some type of chant or something or some kind of special prayer, some sort of prayer book even. And, and he is saying that, that, that those things can become your new God of redemption. God in Jesus and Christ alone lets us know that he knows us. He knows each one of us that are his people as his people. My daddy used to say, boy, I know you better than you know yourself. And whenever he would say it, it would always be in one of those situations where, you know, you're trying to smooth him or something, trying to get over and he catches you. And he gets this like, boy, please, I know you better than you know yourself. And you just sit there and scratch your head. I hated it when he said it. Because I'm like, man, he's got me. He's caught me. And I didn't like it because I was trying to get by. But then looking back on it, now having my own son, what grace in it. What acknowledgement of what it meant. It meant that somebody paid attention to me. 
Somebody may love me because they know me for my good. And God is saying, I know you better than you know yourself for my good and for your good and my pleasure. And Jesus, God knows you. And Paul is discouraged here because in their being religious, they're acting pagan. Living apart from the grace of God and Jesus, apart from the knowledge that sinners can know God and that God has knowing relationship with people, that, that there are now, there now, there, then and now our religiosity, the godless rules and regulations or community projects or vestments or, or dressings and enough prayer meetings and spiritual behavior all at the right time with, you know, living the victorious life of faith and making sure your words ride and you can't say you're sick because that means you don't believe in God. And, and changing your world and fulfilling your destiny. Man, you go to the Christian bookstore and there are hundreds upon hundreds of books leading in this direction. You know, do the right words, do the right reading, or, or maybe for you it's being quiet and solemn. I know God and God knows me because I'm quiet and solemn. Or, or, or on the other end, jumping and running all over the place, a la Barat. You know, just, just kind of going crazy. Don't watch that movie. I got, I got tricked into it. It's really evil. Don't watch it. Please. Let me say it on tape for the, for the internet world. I don't endorse that movie. But somehow we think we're either highly emotional or highly uh, stoic that somehow in between we kind of catch the knowledge of God. Hey, look at us. Look how great we are. We're so quiet and somber and, and everyone dressed so modest. Woo, we know God. Or, woo, jumping around, jumping pews, falling out, and all kind of stuff. We know God, see? Glory, Glory, yeah. Church religious people, according to what Paul is saying, can be very pagan, ironically. And it happens when the central mission and message of God's knowledge and love and salvation of sinners apart from their works by Jesus is lost or it's forgotten or treated as secondary to lived out experience or acts by Christ alone. You know God and you can be sure God knows you are his. Now we'll get to some responses to that later in Galatians. Religious responses. Right religious responses. But Paul, now the apostolic philosopher, and talking about that pagan stuff and how it works with religion so far, now he's going to make things pastoral here. Teaching them, no, showing them, reminding them of the history, the reality of not only the gospel mission and message among them, but look at the gospel ministry that's happened. Look with me at verse 12 in this text before you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. Just that text, just that scripture. And then remember what Paul's done again with the philosopher about being the pagan stuff here. And we get this awesome picture, this telling acknowledgement of God's love for his people, don't we? That the ministry of the gospel... The ministry meaning the giving of the gospel, the working of it, the in you and to your world is God communicating to your context and your culture so you can be reached by him. This is God's work that Paul became like them. Paul says, I, I, I came like you. I forgot 
all of my Jewish leanings to be with you crazy Gentiles. You know, I look like a pure fool to the big church. Eating what you ate, sitting on the same couch you did, using your language the way I did, so you could get it. I was a minister of the gospel. The ministry of the gospel was just that, that it came to the context. It came to your world. It came in a way that said, not only does God get you, know you, he is gaining you and getting you actively for himself. Paul's ministry is a reflection of Jesus' own incarnational ministry of of coming in the likeness of human flesh to communicate and touch the context of our humanity. And the good news is that God's gospel is contextual. And its contextual nature speaks very clearly that it's the gospel. It can speak to any group of people. It can speak their language and speak to their world. It actually draws near to us. I'm going to show you what this context looks like. In the home I grew up in, it was daddy, three sons, and mama. And so, the conversation piece, without doubt, always turned to what? A raging, laughing, no-holes-barred conversation about human waste and its pneumatic counterparts. All right, I just broke the rule. You're not supposed to say those things in a sermon. Okay, anyway, moving on. The Brown family will without a doubt have a conversation about great movements in human history. And we are not talking the history you got in school. Okay, I just broke the rule again. But for your, but I'm doing it for your growth and grace, okay? Anyway, Kelly, my dear wife, and probably you too, Kia, married to Terrence, have learned to join in. And that may not be good news for her. It may be a little embarrassing even. And every now and then she gets up and says, I can't take it. This is ridiculous. And we just break out laughing. But she has, I guess, out of love for me, something. The relationship she has with me and wants to have with my dad and my brothers will concede her couthness to be with the Browns rogues down in the den. Or even around the dinner table, yes. Okay, enough. Enough about that. Paul is saying, I came to talk in the world of your mess about your mess. I left behind proper Jewish history and uppityness to bring you the truth so that the truth could be heard by you, so that you could have a relationship with God and that you would know that God has a relationship, yes, with the uncouth that he speaks the language and lies in the world of the rogue. That in ministry of the gospel, God goes and speaks wherever people, his people may be or may talk about and think about and live about. It is the ministry of the gospel to communicate to your context for your context. See, Paul didn't come to make the Gentiles Jewish, but to make the Gentiles God's people. And he has been saying in this letter, there's a big difference. God comes not to call people to just another earthly context or culture, but the gospel ministers for the redemption of the context it finds itself in. 
God doesn't want you and me to stop being who he has created us naturally or even culturally by extension. But to have that culture, he draws near to that culture to transform it by Jesus, by his love. And in doing that, he acknowledges his love for all people and not for what some people have lifted up and vaulted above or equal to him. You know, we have this thing in our Christ Central Church vision called kindred communities, missions that we're going to plant churches, that we're going to send people to other countries. We got, You know, as far as our community of churches we hang out with, Uptown, you know, has a church over in Prague. You know, the, the, and, and, he, and some of you just came back from mission trips this summer. We do this out of love for God that God has and expresses to, to a world of people who are not like us or not like our mother church. We believe that the love of God says that he will send a ministry and ministers to preach and reach and communicate to that culture and to that context. He he didn't and doesn't set up the knowledge of him and his son behind a gated community or in the most dangerous, unforgiving hood in America. No. God finds his way past the gate and in the hood and there is neither virtue or value in either places of his ministry both say and would say God loves his people through Christ it is not the gospel you believe in or have if you think suburban ministries can't be as close to God some of us believe that sort of you know some churches out there the rich God ain't there if you think that you got the gospel confused. I mean, or that those churches made up of those kind of people, they can't be as real and true as these types. You know, the gene-wearing churches. You know, uh, understand that God has loved a world because of one ministry and one gospel. Christ alone. Faith alone. Grace alone given through the word of God, spoken in the language and context of the world. I mean, God loves Noda and urban Charlotte. But having this so-called multi-ethnic urban thing called Christ Central Church, because not because we love, you know, whatever, but because he loves you and me. And those who are culturally and contextually attracted are drawn for good or bad motivations to this place. I mean, some of you could and can only hear and receive the grace of God in a run-down theater. Don't ask why, but you can. As soon as you see a stained glass window, you run. As soon as you see a pew, you're out of there. Any candles, you're really gone. And with some, you know, you only can take the well-adjusted 18th century hymns we sing and coffee and jeans with a dreadlock-wearing pastor and a redhead Italian-Hawaiian associate pastor. And I haven't even gotten to the elders, the ruling elder story. My goodness. But anyway, who at least you can say for me means, yep, experience some ostracizing from our religious heritage. You know, for a white man like Pastor G's world where you don't go and be a number two for a black man in a white denomination, it's hard. Oh, yeah. God has done all of this craziness. Not because we called it to be, or we wrote it out real good, but because he does this all over the world, reaching and redeeming and renewing cultures and contexts of people. There are people who need a pew. 
man, we, when the long church first came, Stacy from her Catholic upbringing, she was like, Pastor Brown, we're the kneelers. Ain't no kneelers in the neighborhood theater. I'm sorry. But some people got to have kneelers. Hey, church, go where the kneelers are, but make sure go where the gospel is. Maybe we plant some churches with some kneelers. I'll kneel. God loves people through the gospel as it comes with a message that can't be stopped or hijacked by any group. You can't have the gospel and own it as your own thing, hoping that people can cross your cultural barriers to get to it. No, the gospel crosses cultural barriers to get to you. Faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. You know, back to this Kelly and my family thing. I don't know, the second or third time Kelly came home, I can't remember what she was. You know, I think I told y'all a story before. We like to eat in my house. We sit at the kitchen table, all the guys, we eat up. And what do we do? Go straight down to the den. Daddy grab his paper, watch TV. We watching the, watching, reading his paper, we watching the TV. Dishes on the table. Okay, y'all can get at me later. Right now, I think God got me back because I wash the dishes in my house right now. And sometimes it's hard because Kelly will be cooking these special things. It'll be 9 o'clock and I'm in the kitchen at 11.30. Well, that's all right. That's my penance for all them years. I think she do it on purpose. When's dinner going to be ready? 10.30? Great. And I'm, you know, it ain't because I'm hungry because I know me at 12.30 washing dishes. Anyway, so we got up and then, I don't know, maybe I need something to drink. I came back in the, on the upstairs because we have the tri-level house where got a kitchen up here and then downstairs and then. So I walk up the stairs and Kelly and Mama at the table holding hands crying. I'm like, oh, Lord, we in trouble. And she says, somebody came in to this world where I was the only woman for years and knows me, understands what it is, and th- that, hey, why do they, you, you don't have to sit in this kitchen and do the dishes. You go and have a good time. They'll do it later. I'll make sure Howard does it later. Gracious. Anyway. The fact and reality and nature of the gospel ministry and acknowledging God's love, do you understand what it means? That you and they have not been overlooked or underloved by God. Because you are not like the rest. Because you don't, your your works, you don't dress or talk or behave like the rest. Or it, it is not your works, it is not your works that saves or calls you to God, but the ministry of God in Jesus Christ that incarnates, that contextualizes, that reaches you right at your own kitchen table. People who are marginalized, and unable to make God notice and love them because their histories and their lives are too wracked with problems to ever believe that they can move beyond those things to get to the rest of where the other church people are. Jesus comes, incarnates. It's the gospel ministry, and in that God declares his love for you and me and whoever they may be. And this happens to the Galatians as Paul is used, as he is used in the incarnation ministry of the apostle and minister of the gospel, Paul. With that said, so far we've seen him acknowledge the love of God for the Gentiles. Apart from work performance by his gospel message, his gospel ministry. And Paul has taken this thing from philosophical gospel to pastoral gospel. And now as a pastor, he takes this thing 
personally. Because God acknowledges his love for his people through the gospel minister, an earthly person who delivers and does the gospel ministry. Look with me at the rest of these verses here. I'm going to start at verse 12 and just read it. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it is because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you and you did not treat me with, uh, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes and given to them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. It's a big chunk of scripture. The text seems to suggest that Paul got stuck there preaching the gospel because he got sick in Galatia. God uses the humanity of the gospel minister to carry out his purposes. See, some historic readings I did suggest that maybe Galatia was a great place to go to recover. Maybe they had some healing springs there or something of some sort of away from the hustle and bustle of the city uh, could, could recover. But Paul got stuck there. <laughs> now let me tell you what this means and why this is a good thing. Not only did the message of love from God, was there a message of love uh, from God through Paul? It showed the Galatians and others that because God uses ministers, humans, he has the power over them to do uh, what he wants for the sake of his people. Humanity of a messenger says what? Those folk, whoever they are, are usable by God. That they are the, in the most limited way are like clay. God can pose them like action figures in his hands. Posable and shapeable for what? For the love and care and good of the people they minister to. That's that by God's sovereignty. And when I mean by sovereignty, his ability to do whatever he wants the way he wants to for his good and his glory. Now joined with this sovereignty is his loving desire to see the Galatians come to know the love of God. He made Paul stay there. He put Paul on his behind. He laid him out. He made him break down in a town with no mechanic. He caused pastor, he caused Paul to be their pastor. He says, I was sick, so I preached the gospel among you. I had to. I was there. I was sick. Couldn't move. Paul's God-designed presence with them. Paul is saying, God did this. He put this together. He took a human person like me, broke his leg so that he could be right there with you to preach the gospel. My being sick is an acknowledgement of God's love for you. I didn't want to be sick and I may not even want to be in Galatia, but there I was. But that's only the beginning point of the message here. Paul is hoping that the Galatians whom he has called foolish, 
Remember back a couple chapters? Foolish Galatians. I mean, he's yelling at them. There's an exclamation mark there. He's yelling. He's mad. And, and he says, he's, and, and has been pretty hard in dealing with their religious decisions. The, the, he's fearing that they don't get him or God or they get God wrong here. He says here, you did me no harm. And then at the end, I wish I could come to you and change my tone. He is saying that I am not speaking with such passion and even anger because you guys did something wrong. But by the work of the gospel between us, something right happened. I was sick. And you with joy cared for me. No small thing. God, by the gospel and by his sovereignty, caused me to be cared for by you. So much was the gospel at work in your hearts when I was there. As you heard the truth that you would have taken your eyes out, he said, and given to me. And many think Paul had an eye condition because he said this. And maybe he had some runny eyes or something or couldn't see. And he's trying to say you would give me your eyes because mine were sick. But not necessarily. He is saying, you know, you would have given me your very eyes. You only got one set of eyes. You loved me, Galatians. With the love of God that only could be produced by the gospel. What is Paul saying? What Paul is saying, I felt the love. I felt the love. Yeah, mean Paul. I felt the love. God made me feel the love when I was with you. You and I were put in a position by Jesus through the gospel to have relationship with each other. I am not angry with you. Don't get it twisted. I'm not writing this because you made me mad. No, I am your church planter, your pastor, your apostle, God's human minister to you. I fell in love with you. And we can now with right context see why Paul, when he says, who are you talking to? They shouldn't be talking to you. And I don't care if you go into it. You know, he's, he's kind of acting like a big brother. A jealous boyfriend, a father of a beautiful daughter, you know, who's about to be married. Look at these jealous verses here. You know, and then in the last verse, he describes feeling. And, and Pastor George, you'll talk about this in the, war, in, in the call of worship. He describes feeling like a mother. Now, when a man talks about, I feel like a mother, there's some love there, y'all. Okay, I feel, he says, I feel like a mother with a child that has grown in the womb that is about to be aborted or snatched away by these group of Judaizers who don't have your best interest in mind. He feels like when you, when they leave the faith, they leave him and he takes it personally against the Judaizers. Now what's wrong with him? Better yet, what's right with him? Paul's entangled. He's enmeshed with them. He's whipped. He's pastor whipped. Back to what we said earlier. He is human. And God uses his human heart to connect with passion and love with his people. And so this is an acknowledgement of Paul's love for the Galatians, but more so it is an acknowledgement of God's love in Jesus Christ to them. Why a minister of the gospel? Because a minister who ministers the gospel cannot live like a machine. That the gospel minister's ministry is not about rules and regulations and just reading off what's wrong with the people. A minister of the gospel, an elder, is not just some sort of body fat percentage machine. You know, some sort of, let me show you we're wrong and that's it. 
Let me just yell at y'all for a few minutes. You know, not like the Judaizers may have, may have been to them, driven by works in a theology of act this way or behave this way or, and giving you the evil eye if you don't eat this way or live this way. A minister of the gospel has a human being used by God is put in the position to get his heart entangled with the people. He connects with them. They, Paul saying, we had life together when I was sick. His passion is not just about being right. It's about his love for them, knowing and feeling what is good for them. And it happens by the work of God as he is just what he is, a weak human used by God among them. Let's get a little personal. Safe to say, from what I know of Pastor G, what I can tell you about myself, we're messed up. You ruined us. We are ruined by God for you. As much as I try to make this thing about getting a church up and running, running well, growing all the church planting things you got to do. God has messed it all up. He's used our hearts. We all entangled up with y'all now. And I'm not the cryy kind of pastor type, weeping and all that. That's Pastor George on long eight-hour trips. <laughs> I'm pretty driven. Seeing the big picture, trying to make the vision happen, all of that stuff. But God's love loves you so much he refuses to have your pastors and elders be machines no we have a passion for you like Paul's whose tone can be like an upset parent sometimes yeah we get a little upset sometimes it's like man Pastor Brown so look mad yeah sometimes I'm a little consumed about things yeah we're concerned about where you go what books you're reading what you're watching, who you're following, what kind of gospel you really believe in. Yeah, and we might even get a little voice by get a little loud. Sometimes I get loud and sweaty up here. What's going on? You mad at us? What's going on? Uh, what God's done. I think we care about y'all. No, I know we care about y'all. And it ain't perfect. Sometimes I love me more than you. And I don't know all y'all well. And all of y'all don't know me well. But the life I experience with many of you, life we experience with many of you, yeah, it breaks me. It, like a human snapped in God's hands for your good <laughs> to be connected intimately and personally with Christ Central Church as a whole. Man... I don't know. My heart's all mixed up with your lives. And I hope that as the gospel ministry and message works among us, yours will become kind of mixed up with mine too. I realize how I can act at session meetings sometimes. I'm going to let you all in. I'm like a little kid in there. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible moderator of the session. Terrible. But I just, hey guys, I'm just crazy. Like a little kid with grandparents, right? Just can't stop talking because you think they want to hear you. (laughs) 
You know how you were with your, with your grandparents or whatever. You're doing a little dance. No, you can't dance. Go, boy. You know that kind of thing? I cut up a lot, you know? What's that about? I waste a lot of time. Okay? Why is it the elders? Blame me, because I talk a lot and waste time. Hey, y'all want to go over to the thing and get a little snack? Yeah. All right. I like walking over there. Anyway, it's the ministry of the gospel that happens in a church. I feel loved. I'm in. I'm connected. I got trust. I got this entangled, mixed up mess now. And it frees me to be loved and to love. You know, it stops being up rules and regulations and behavior, behavior sakes, and now we see the gospel as a way. And we're going to get to this in some other chapters. As a way to love each other. Pastor Georgie will tell you, there's a lot of open jobs. A lot of stuff, right? A lot of, come on over here and help us here. Even when I feel like I want to go, leave because of whatever reason ain't growing festival or whatever happens there's all kind of stuff there's something there because we're connected now it is safe to say kelly and i we broke down in charlotte god broke both legs we can't go nowhere right good thank you be sure if i go somewhere i'm called to go but my legs broke y'all broke them me our, me, our elders, these elders, much more as years and issues go by, love you. We get wrapped up in relationship with you. And it is real, though not always perfect. All because, and I hope it communicates this, all because Jesus loves you. And uses us to communicate to you and turn you back to him. One, uh, those of us, he, who is Jesus, who is a mesh in the lives of his people. And let me make this clear, this is not about us. I didn't read the right book to make me feel this way. I don't always want to feel that way. I want to real. I want you to realize that this is about what God has done to us through even some of our impure motives, often self-centered love. Even when we just sick and broke down, it is the work of God that causes us to be entangled and concerned, not me. I sometimes wonder what's happened. Why am I all mixed up and messed up like this? Because our love and motivation is so off sometimes. Know what happened? God's unconditional love for you. That's why he breaks legs of people to make them stay somewhere. That's why he gets the heart all mixed up and messed up with people who don't like to cry and do all that stuff. And I say this a lot. I say this a lot. Georgia, God must love these people. (laughs) Because I'm so twisted and turned and do what I would not usually for them. Paul was saying, acknowledge the love of God through the gospel for you. Not only the message, but the very ministry of it. It came to you so that you could hear it in the way you got to to get it. Look at these ministers, don't, the elders, don't, but don't look like, oh man, they're really great. We ain't great. We're clay. We messed up. We're broken. And, and, and God causes that to happen because he loves you and wants you to get the gospel. This gospel itself, 
its message, its ministry, its ministers, is an acknowledgement of God's love in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You've acknowledged very clearly what we so often miss. You love your people. You love your people. You let them know that you know them and they can know you through Christ. They don't have to play games. They don't have to act. They don't have to be church, church acting people because Jesus has already acted out well enough and what he has done, his works on the cross for them. Lord, help us to see the gospel and hear the gospel message. And Lord, help us to see with gratitude the great love you have shown us like you did with the Galatians through Paul. Continue to acknowledge that love to us because we forget and get blind all the time. Help us to know it and believe it and see it through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.